Uh, it's always my custom to pray before I break the bread of life. So please join me in a word of prayer as well. Father, if you do not speak, it is not a sermon. If your spirit does not move, we won't be moved. So, Lord, we ask that uh, you do the work of preaching through me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. We thank you, Lord. We glorify you. We ask that uh, your people are edified and encouraged and strengthened and and challenged and uh, brought to repentance. We pray that your matchless name is glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Can you turn to Psalm 16 or just follow along with me? But I also want to say thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. You guys have been a such a blessing to us. Um, part of your your gift that you gave to our church is continuing to uh, move our pastoral residency forward. Because of your generosity, you are helping us plant a church in Cleveland, Ohio. That sounds just so much like Jesus, doesn't it? Um, a church in Lansing helping a church in Detroit plant a church in Cleveland. Uh, look at the gospel move forward. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. So today I want to talk about joy. We'll be in Psalm 16. I want to talk about joy. Um, as, as Pastor uh, John was praying earlier, uh, it just kind of all um, was made more clear to me with the events going on all across the world, with the um, crisis and the many crises going on here in our country, um, I believe we need to hunker down and really find our joy in Jesus Christ. Um, the Psalms give us a unique <clears throat> look through uh, uh, what does it look like to walk with God? What does it look like to commune with God? Um, the, sermon, the Psalms journey from the highest of praise and worship to the very depths of sorrow and the human experience. The Psalms allow us to walk with God as we walk towards eternity. And scripture teaches us that one of the main characteristics of uh, someone who knows and follows God intimately is joy. So what is joy? What is joy? Joy can be defined as an inner feeling of gladness, pleasure, delight, cheer, and exuberance. John Piper defined joy as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. One more definition of joy, Avery Rye Miller said joy is a feeling of good pleasure that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than what is happening around us. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, from abiding in God's presence. The overall theme of Psalm 16 is how we find our joy walking with God. So here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to take away from this time in God's word. Joy comes from knowing, trusting, serving, and worshiping God. Joy, this delight, this good pleasure in your soul comes from knowing, trusting, serving, 
and worshiping God. We're going to walk through Psalm 16, verse by verse. We're going to hit the first two verses. Psalm 16, verse 1. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. Now, we don't know the occasion of Psalm 16, but we know that this was a time of difficulty. This was a time of duress in David's life. We can assume this because he's asking the Lord for divine protection. Right out of the gate, the psalmist uh, says he, he makes a declaration, the Lord is my refuge. A refuge is a hiding place. A, a refuge was a fortress, a place of safety in David's day. So when you hear the word refuge, think of safety, security, and salvation. The image that always comes to my mind is often when my children are afraid, they come and run and they wrap their arms around my legs. Or when they have a nightmare, they come burst in my room. They are coming for refuge. They are coming for safety like a scared but trusting child. In this time of duress, the psalmist retreats and runs to the refuge, the Lord. David Mathis, author, said, There is no safer place to hide than in the arms of the omnipotent God. In the midst of his adversities, David turns his attention from what is troubling him. We don't know what it is. It could be an enemy. It could be some life circumstance. But he turns his attention from what is troubling him and he turns his focus on the Lord. Our brothers and sisters, so often we lack joy because we neglect this step. So often we lack true joy and true joy eludes us because we focus on our problems instead of the sovereign God who rules over them. Very often joy escapes us. Joy eludes us because we aren't focused on the sovereign Lord. Then David makes this bold statement. I have nothing good besides you. He is speaking in somewhat exaggerated terms, but, but he's speaking with this hyperbole to emphasize that the fact that, that, that God is the true and ultimate good. Every good thing comes from him. James 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord above. Because God is the ultimate good. David knows that all good truly comes from him, apart from him, even what may appear to be good will be empty at the end. Let's keep going. Verse three. Psalm 16, verse three. As for a holy people who are in that land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. Another source of David's joy is in community with God's people. Notice this. First, he, he, he says, you are my Lord. You are my refuge. First, he runs to God. First, his focus is uh, uh, he's finding joy in his relationship with God. Then he shifts to his relationship with God's people. 
The CSB translation says the holy ones, but other translation says saints or those who have been elected and set apart by God. David actually takes delight and finds joy in fellowship with God's people. You may not realize this, but the saints, God's people, are a gift from God and a means of grace from him. You may not realize it, but like David, the Lord has given us relationships with God's people as a source of joy and strength. Can we be honest, though? In recent years, it has become commonplace and even welcomed to be hypercritical of the church. Can we be very honest? Yes, the church on earth is flawed. Yes, the church has leadership, including Tyler, that is far from perfect. Leaders fail. Leaders fall short. Leaders will continue to fall. Unfortunately, abuse, sin, and tragedies happen in the church. And we don't excuse them. We don't condone it. We don't ignore that. But like David, you can actually find grace. You can find strength. You can find edification. You can find joy in the people of God. The church is unique. There is nothing like the church of Jesus Christ on earth because all of the fellowship, edification, care, encouragement, healthy correction, wisdom, truth that you get from the body of Christ cannot be duplicated anywhere else. Again, I know the church is imperfect. I know the church has unfortunately hurt people. Spiritual abuse, narcissistic leadership, church hurt are all real. I know these things are real because I've experienced them personally. I can share stories of ways I've been hurt by the church. I can share stories of things I've seen that did not bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But author Jackie Hill Perry said it and put it in a beautiful way. Church hurt should not be the norm, but sadly it is. But the way God heals someone from church hurt is by using the church. I want to challenge you, challenging myself as well, to embrace the body of Christ at large. Don't be hypercritical. Go deeper with your local church. Go deeper in community and to support and pray for your spiritual leaders. The reason we should have a very high view of the church is because of the value that Jesus placed on it. The reason we should cherish, value the local church and the church at large is because of the value that the Lord Jesus Christ put on it. Acts chapter 20, verse 20, uh, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 tells us that Jesus purchased the church, his bride, with his very own blood. Jesus loved his church so much that he died and rose again to make it a reality. 
So after fixing his eyes on the Lord and after finding joy and delight in God's people, now we begin to see joy bubble up in David's life. Let's keep going. Verse four. The sorrow of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will, excuse me, I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. So watch this. David is drawing a contrast. He's, he's talking about, first he, he's talking about uh, uh, finding his joy in God, finding his joy in God's people. Then he shows the other alternative, people who reject God, people who worship false idols. The psalmist flips it and tells us where a lot of people lose their joy, pursuing idols. Family, the misconception today is that we don't have idols. We don't have uh, idolatry. I hear people talking kind of flippantly when we read about people worshiping statues in the Bible. Like, I can't believe they worship wooden statues. I can't believe they worship idols in the Bible. The misconception is we don't have idols. But in Romans chapter one, Paul says that every human on earth is guilty of elevating what was created by God above him at times. Each and every one of us is guilty of idolatry. We were created to worship God and God alone, but often we have misplaced worship. Ever since Adam and Eve declared independence from God in the garden, all humanity fell. And the worship that was supposed to be given to the true and living God is often placed in the wrong place. We are all prone to misplaced worship. Misplaced worship is when we offer uh, worship, obedience, and allegiance to someone or something besides God. Again, misplaced worship is when we offer worship, obedience, and allegiance to someone or something besides God. Like the people of Psalm 16 that David is referring to, we all are prone to search for our joy and what we can feel, see, touch, and taste. I honestly believe many people's pursuits for temporary happiness and comfort ultimately lead them away from God and lead them to idolatry. John Calvin famously put it this way, the human heart is a factory of idols. This is a cautionary word. This is a cautionary word from David in Psalm 16 that pursuing idols will not bring you lasting joy. It may bring you temporary comfort. It may bring you temporary happiness. But pursuing idols will not bring lasting joy and will ultimately bring sorrow. If we're honest, our idols do bring some relief at times. They bring us some comfort. They bring us some pleasure. Often we find a a, a sense of identity and security in our idols. But ultimately, they don't bring joy. C.S. Lewis says, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. 
Pastor, I don't think I have any idols. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. Well, that, that's not me. I don't have any idols. Let's take a quick pop quiz. I know it's not Monday, but school's in session. Quick pop quiz. Other than Christ, where do you find your identity? Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, where do you look for identity? Outside of Christ, where do you look for comfort at? Other than Christ, where do you run when you need refuge? Other than Christ, where do you look for pleasure at? The answer to those questions may reveal your idols. We all have misplaced worship, me included. But the Spirit is warning us here in Psalm 16 that true joy is only found in God. And when we look for joy in our idols, we will only suffer sorrow and pain in the long run. Verse 5, Psalm 16, verse 5. I love this. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The imagery, David is using uh, two images here, a, a, a cup and an inheritance, my portion. He's saying that, 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 that what God gives is overflowing like a cup. Again, uh, in, in verse four, he says, those who pursue idols will drink from the cup of God's wrath, but those who seek God will be satisfied with him. That Hebrew word for portion is referring to an inheritance. In essence, David is saying, Yahweh is all that I have and all that I really need. Psalm 73, verse 26. Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever again. All that we really need is God and everything that uh, everything that God will provide comes from him. What if God alone was your inheritance? What what if all you got from following Jesus was Jesus? Would that be enough? What if God was the reward? Would you still serve him or do you view God as a means to an end? Many people come to Jesus as a means to an end, family, but the Lord Jesus is all we really need, following him. Verse six, Psalm 16, verse six, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful Inheritance. Here I believe David is looking at all that the Lord has given him and expressing gratitude and contentment. I believe one reason so many people lack joy is a lack of contentment. They look at all that God has provided. They look at everything that the Lord has given them and say, thanks, but that's not enough. Many Christians look at their inheritance or, or their life circumstances and compare them with other people. 
And they lose in the comparison game every time. If we're honest with ourselves, we often look at our inheritance, i.e. our lives and, and, and our financial situations, our marriages, our health, our children, um, uh, our ministries, on and on and on. And we compare them to what other people have. And then we lose that contentment. We, we lose the joy that the Lord offers us because we aren't satisfied. Very often, this lack of gratitude, this lack of contentment steals our joy. Instead of rejoicing and taking pleasure in what the Lord has us, has given us, we often become preoccupied with what we don't have. But David takes a step back. He looks at his inheritance. He looks at everything that the Lord has given him. He counts all his blessings and he finds joy in the Lord. My brothers and sisters, gratitude produces contentment and contentment and gratitude combined give birth to joy. Here's a challenge. This week, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. What, what if we practice gratitude? What if whenever a complaint came in our mind or, 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 or discontentment bubbled up in our heart, what if we stopped and expressed gratitude to the Lord? I bet if we express much more gratitude, stop comparing ourselves with others, stop looking at what we don't have, we would have so much more joy. Let's practice gratitude this week. Verse 7, Psalm 16, verse 7. I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at the night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Here, David is offering another reason why he has found his joy in the Lord, the Lord's wise counsel. In his times of fear, doubt, uncertainty, and trouble, the psalmist says he always runs to the Lord for direction. It is human nature for us to make plans and then consult God. Speaking for myself, often when I face difficulties, when I, when I face hard scenarios, when, when I face an imminent crisis, very often my first instinct is self-preservation and self-sufficiency. But instead of being self-willed and self-centered, we should stop and seek the Lord's will, seek the Lord's wisdom first and foremost, as David models here. How do we know the Lord will grant wisdom? How do we know the Lord will give us direction? How do we know this? James chapter one, verse five. Now, if anyone lacks wisdom, that's me. He should ask God who gives generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. The all wise, all knowing, all powerful God promises to bless his people with wisdom. If they seek him. Daily prayer, daily communing with God allows God to counsel us, direct us, lead us, correct us, and to give us wisdom. 
Brothers and sisters, seeking the Lord's wisdom and seeking the Lord's direction first will save us so many mistakes, mishaps, and missteps. After recounting and reviewing all of the Lord's blessings in his life, he's his refuge, he's his portion, he's his inheritance, he gives him wisdom. David makes this declaration because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. David, again, this is a hard time. This is a difficult time. This is some, some, some adversities he's facing, but because of who the Lord is, he has joy. David is standing firm and unmovable because of the Lord's presence in his life. By saying he will not be shaken, David is referring to the unique sense of security that and safety that only those who follow God can experience. Please hear this and please hear this loud and clear. Only those who know God, only those who follow him can truly say, I will not be shaken. No, God does not exempt believers from the day-to-day circumstances and troubles of this life. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Both believers and non-believers experience pain, trouble, failure, sickness at times. But the reality is those outside of covenant relationship with God. Those who choose idols, those who reject God have a sense of hopelessness and have no eternal security. But those who know him can say like David, I will not be shaken because we belong to God. Let's begin to wrap up. Again, David, in a very difficult time, runs to God. He says, Lord, you are my Lord. You are my God. You are my refuge. You have given me joy. You have given me community. You have given me an inheritance. You are my portion. And then he concludes here. He begins to conclude in verse nine. Because of all those things, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoice. My body also rests securely. Verse 10, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Again, Reliance on God, devotion to God, delighting in him, learning from him culminates in great joy in David's life. Because of his proximity to God, because of his relationship with God, David declares, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoice. He says, I've received abundant joy. And eternal pleasures. David's heart was glad. He was filled with joy because he has discovered the true source of joy. Close communion with the true and living God. David can feel this real joy despite his trials, despite his troubles, despite what he's lost, despite his suffering. 
Because his relationship with God determines his view on life. As we pursue God, as we grow closer to him, as we allow him to direct us, joy will grow deeper and stronger in our lives. Listen to Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than those when their grain and new wine abound. David in Psalm 4 goes as far as to compare the joy that God has given him to being intoxicated with wine. Friends, the Lord always is the initiator and the provider of our joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. There's a difference between uh, uh, temporary uh, uh, temporary happiness that comes from some kind of outside stimulus and true, lasting, deep joy that comes from the Lord. This is why David speaks can speak about joy despite his earthly circumstances. His joy comes from God. His joy, joy comes from knowing God, walking with God, experiencing God, trusting God, not the circumstances of his life. As C.S. Lewis points out, you will never discover joy. You will never know joy by seeking after joy itself. Lewis contends that joy and gladness is a side effect of God's presence. He goes on to say this is what called this is called being when someone becomes a Christian, they are surprised by joy. Again, true joy, the delight, the pleasure that that David is referring to comes from close proximity, close communion with the true and living God. But then he says something interesting in verse 10. For you will not abandon me to Sheol or the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now, David is expressing his trust in God, even in the afterlife. The rationale is simple. Uh, if, that if the Lord has cared for him, protected him and preserved him during this life, the Lord will do the same, same as he transitions into eternity. However, David could not be referring to himself as the faithful one of verse 10. He's not referring to himself because he did indeed taste physical death and he did indeed decay. He had to be talking about someone else. Let's fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Fast forward, Acts chapter 2, Peter in, in the great sermon on Pentecost Sunday. You know the story if you've been around the church. The Lord Jesus died. He rose again. He was he had a 40-day victory tour. He left. A church, the Holy Spirit fell. And then Peter stands up filled with the Spirit and preaches this amazing story in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Since he was a prophet, referring to David, since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He would not abandon him to Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus and we are all witnesses to this. Therefore, verse 33, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and received 
and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see and hear. According to David, uh, um, excuse me, according to Peter, David was speaking as a prophet about the Messiah, not himself. The Messiah would come from God and would be a greater king than David. When David was appointed to the throne, God promised him your throne would last forever and your descendants would take your kingdom into eternity. The Messiah, Jesus, would indeed taste physical death, but he would not decay in the grave. His body would not decay because he rose again three days later. Under the influence of the spirit, the psalmist is speaking of the resurrection of Christ. The Messiah would die as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to earth. Jesus left the majesty of heaven, left the, the worship of angels, put on a human body. So that still blows my mind. God himself left, temporarily left the son of God, came to earth, put on a human body and experienced life just as we experienced it, yet did not sin. Jesus came as the lamb of God to die for our sins. He rose again three days later. Jesus took on flesh, lived without sin, took the curse of sin to the cross, and died in our place for our redemption. But the father did not abandon him to the grave, the place of the dead. His flesh did not taste corruption because God raised him up to complete victory over death, sin, and Satan. And then this last phrase, as I close, David said, you, in verse 11, you revealed the path of life to me. This phrase is critical, friends. He said that you revealed the path of life. That means there's only one. It's not multiple choice. My brothers and sisters, true joy in this life and in the next is found in this path. He didn't say that here's one path, you can choose this one. And if you don't like this path, you can choose another one. He didn't say all paths lead to life. He said there is one path that leads to life. This clear path that God has graciously provided leads to joy. Listen to these words from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. Few find it. Family, the Father has graciously provided a path to eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
You may not know it, but at one time we were all wandering lost on that broad road. We were all walking toward destruction until we were rescued and redeemed by Jesus. Now we have eternal life in him. Now we are on a road. It's bumpy. It's hard. There's trouble on that road. There's also joy. There's God's presence on that road. And he promises that we will have joy in this life and in the next. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that we have and all that we are through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the joy that you've given us. The Lord said in himself that, 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 that he gives a joy that the world doesn't know. This joy that you've given us is not based on our eternal, our, our, our earthly circumstances, but this joy is based on your finished work. Father, we thank you that you've given us a community, a church family, Thank you. Thank you that you've given us spiritual leadership. Thank you that you've given us the body of Christ as a source to great joy. Father, help us to be content. Help us to be grateful. Help us to see all that we have, all that we are. Thank, thank, uh, help us to see that, that, that you are our portion. You are our inheritance and help us to find joy in that. And Lord, help us to make following you, help us to make walking in close proximity to you our priority, thus finding true joy. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.